Once upon a time there was a beautiful young girl whose stepmother always made her stay home with the baby. And the baby was a spoiled child and wanted everything to himself, and the young girl was practically a slave. But what no one knew is that the king of goblins had fallen in love with the girl, and he had given her certain powers. So one night, when the baby had been particularly cruel to her, she called on the goblins for help. Say your right words, said the goblins, and we'll take the baby back to the castle and you'll be free. But the girl knew that the goblin king would keep the baby in his castle forever and ever and ever and turn it into a goblin. And so the girl suffered in silence. Until one day when she was tired from a day of housework and she was hurt by the harsh words of her stepmother and she could no longer stand it. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, May 2nd, 2016, and this is our 228th episode. Today, within this abstract information economy, with all the speed and tumult of our normal media landscape, we will be seeking a solid structure to lean upon something that can help us find meaning and upon which we can count on. So today we're exploring an embodied sacred geometry by sharing 42 minutes with Lars Howlett, journeyman, labyrinth designer, and builder. Lars Howlett builds, walks, and photographs labyrinths as a practice in mindfulness. He is a Veritas faculty member and certified labyrinth facilitator, having trained with the leader of the labyrinth movement, Lauren Artris at Grace and Sharks Cathedrals. She, by the way, was featured on this program for episode number 132. For three years, Lars was the apprentice to master builder Robert Ferre, learning the art of sacred geometry and his methods to create exact replicas of classical and medieval patterns. In 2015, he was promoted to journeyman labyrinth designer and builder, launching Discover Labyrinth LLC based in San Francisco, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now in semi-retirement, Robert Ferre handed on his custom tools and design building curriculum to Lars. Lars is leading a new generation in building and walking labyrinths and is a passionate and enthusiastic teacher sharing his experiments and experience through workshops, leading tours, and creating sacred spaces for individuals and institutions. He has been an invited speaker at schools, yoga studios, art galleries, and Grace Cathedral, as well as the 2011 to 15 conferences of the Labyrinth Society, and he was invited to become a Labyrinth Society board member and now chairs the web social media committees and organizes World Labyrinth Day, a global event on the first Saturday in May, which just happens to be this Saturday. It's really an honor to be speaking to Lars today. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. And then I should mention that to view his latest projects and inspirations, visit him at facebook.com slash discoverlabyrinths or on his website, discoverlabyrinths.com. What is World Labyrinth Day and how should we celebrate that? Ah, yeah. World Labyrinth Day is the first Saturday in May, and this is the eighth annual um, event that has been organized by the Labyrinth Society. Um, It is a day to walk the labyrinth or um, engage the archetype in some manner. 
Um, we invite people to walk as one at one in the afternoon uh, to create a rolling wave of peace for energy um, around the planet. So um, many people organize um, either individual or group walks at 1 p.m. in their local time zone, and um, other people uh, trace labyrinths with their finger or they um, hold a workshop or a uh, tour. Some people build a labyrinth on that day, um, and it's it's open to interpretation. So I actually created a list of uh, 11 ways to celebrate World Labyrinth Day on the Labyrinth Society website. So there's just like there's many ways to use the labyrinth for in general, there's many ways to use the labyrinth to celebrate World Labyrinth Day. <laughs> so what are some of these ways to use a labyrinth? Um, well, that's what's really fascinating about labyrinths is that it's an ancient archetype um, that goes back maybe four to 6,000 years, and yet there's no one um, place of origin or um, culture or faith, religion, uh, that can claim the labyrinth as its uh, symbol. So it's open to interpretation, and we actually don't know how it's it's been used, especially in the in the distant past. So people use it symbolically. You know, they wear the labyrinth as a as a token or a charm or a, a protective symbol. Um, in jewelry, they uh, you know Romans used mosaic labyrinths, um, and they were carved on the the stones in in Spain. Um, they appeared in Indian scripture and uh, and uh, in the Baltic Sea and the northern Sweden and, and Russia, some of the first walkable labyrinths, or at least the, the oldest surviving walkable labyrinths are found. And so there it seems that people, because of the size and the space, that people would walk the labyrinths. And there are folk tales about dances and um you know, different reasons to use the labyrinth. So, so people use it, you know, artistically, um, they use it for healing, they use it um, as a design, um, you know, something just to study because of, of its of its beauty and its geometry. Um, so there's as many ways as there are people, I guess. <laughs> well, so now when I see, it seems like there's two really well-known labyrinths. So when I think of those, I'm either thinking of the Seventh Circuit Labyrinth, which I think is called the Classical Labyrinth. Is that correct? Yeah. And then there's uh -huh. also yeah. what's known as the Eleventh Circuit Shards Labyrinth. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it seems like those are the most two that I'm familiar with. Are there, I'm curious whether, I mean, like what the difference is and if they're related at all, and then also if there is encoded meaning within the actual structures themselves that we know or that we've guessed upon. Yeah, this is something I've just um, been studying in depth and uh, I'm still new to the the field of sacred geometry, but I spent the weekend um, teaching with Richard Feather Anderson, who uh, has been working with the labyrinth for four years and is a um, master of sacred geometry and feng shui and um, geomancy and dowsing. So um, there are uh, symbolism and um, 
energy related to each pattern. And the seventh circuit classical is the oldest form. Um, so that is the form when we say that labyrinths are maybe four to 6,000 years old. That is the, the seventh circuit classical form. And then in time, you can see that that form shifts and, and becomes bigger. It becomes an 11th circuit, a 15th circuit classical labyrinth. Uh, and then in some manuscripts um, in medieval times, we see it um, shifting where the turns, because the classical labyrinth only has turns at the entrance, whereas the, the medieval labyrinths and the cathedrals, they have turns you know, on the cruciform or on the, the four axes. Uh. So... Um, then the Chart um, Cathedral Labyrinth was built in maybe 1202 um, AD, and that became um, one of the most well-loved labyrinths, you know, through the ages. At one point, I think there were 23 cathedrals that had um, labyrinths in medieval times, but I think only three of them survived. So it's also that that it survived. Um, and through the work of Lauren Archis, that the Chart Labyrinth has gained such um, popularity. And then the Classical Labyrinth is the one that also has survived and, and um, is most walked and widespread historically. So, I mean, I would say that the Classical Labyrinth has been the most widely used over history. And then the Chart Labyrinth now is probably the most widely used at present time. Do you notice a difference in like energy or your perception when you're walking those different kinds or even building those different kinds of labyrinths? Yeah, I, I feel like there is a, a, a big difference between walking the two patterns, um, especially in the setting. I mean, many different factors will affect your experience, you know, the materials of the labyrinth, this, this setting, um, the, the design, the size of the design, um, because you can, you can create an 11 circuit classical labyrinth, and then you can create a smaller seven circuit variation of the medieval labyrinth. <laughs> so, um, I find, you know, generally the classical labyrinth only has space for one person in a center. And so generally I find the classical labyrinth to be more suitable to outdoor spaces and for you know individual or very small group walks and the chart labyrinth i find to be um better in indoor environments where there's space and uh especially in the religious context because of its um history and then also for group walks because it is a longer path and there's space for you know maybe 10 to 12 people in the center so um, yeah, it, it depends on the person, you know, some people really resonate with the classical labyrinth and, uh, some people resonate with the chart labyrinth and then some people, you know, enjoy walking all different types and, uh, you know, love to experiment and explore <laughs> a variety of labyrinths. Now, did I recently see a news item come out of the San Francisco area where someone had vandalized the... Uh, famous Land's End Labyrinth? Right, yeah. The Land's End Labyrinth is a shard labyrinth that has a very small center because the space doesn't accommodate a um, you know, proportional 
recreation. So it's actually a shark labyrinth with about room for one person in the center, a very uh, small space, but um, it was built in stone by a local artist. And um, I think maybe 10 years ago and in time it had uh, become really beloved and it's, it's um, part of the materials, the stones and the setting, you know, looking over the golden gate bridge um, in a natural, beautiful environment on a, on a cliff top that made it really uh, well known and well, well loved. And then, yeah, just this past year, um, somebody took the rocks and threw them probably back into the sea. So it, it completely disappeared overnight. The whole thing? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Although you could still see the trace of the design. And actually, I think this is maybe the third or fourth time that it's been um, completely removed. So um, the other times, either the artist or one of the labyrinth caretakers um, took it upon themselves to to recreate it. But this time, I think through social media now becoming so prevalent, when something like this happens, it's it's much easier to get the word out and it's much easier to, uh, to arrange volunteers. So um, unlike the other times when it had been destroyed, this time there was an immediate um, reaction and response and, uh, and uh, volunteers asked, you know, what can we do? How can we help? And so they came back and rebuilt it. Hmm. Well, so let's talk like that is definitely, uh, I would say, a very, very famous labyrinth, just like the one in Grace Cathedral. Yeah. Are there others that you can think of that um, have that kind of recognition? Um, yeah, I've been kind of working on a 12 Wonders of the Labyrinth World as kind of a, you know, a fun um, presentation to give, you know, to, uh, to groups. And um, it's been interesting to try to, to consider what would be the 12 wonders of the labyrinth world and definitely grace cathedral and shard cathedral were on there. Um, there's some others. And I, I was also trying to represent um, different patterns in different places. And uh, I include one in Sweden um, that is built on an island in Gotland in the Baltic sea. Uh, and it's a, it's an old labyrinth that could predate the church. There's a there's a medieval church um, with the labyrinth in the churchyard, um, but the labyrinth could be uh, older than the church. And because of the name of the village is Freya, which is a, a derivation of Freya, which is the goddess of fertility, um, there's reason to believe that this labyrinth could be used for uh, fertility rituals, and it was a sacred site um, for the locals. And then when the church was built, it was built next to the labyrinth. Whereas today, you know, almost all labyrinths um, are built next to churches, you know, when they appear in that context. So so maybe this labyrinth built the church instead of the church building the labyrinth. And there's also a well that comes out of the labyrinth, so you can actually drink water from the the below the labyrinth, which I think is also really interesting and fascinating. And great for rituals. Um, and then I've include, included other spaces, like um, there's a star dreaming uh, in New Mexico outside of Santa Fe, and they have uh, a visionary artist created, um, I think, 13 uh, stone temples and uh, 
includes four different labyrinths. So you can kind of go to this place where he's built these giant um, stone monuments and uh, and you can walk four different labyrinth forms. And so that's pretty fascinating to be able to go to one place and walk a variety of, of, of designs. And also he's, he really created this based on a vision that he had. And, and so it's a pretty fascinating place to visit. Um, and then in England, there's turf labyrinths. Um, not a lot of them survived because, you know, the turf had to be maintained and um, stone labyrinths can be ignored and, and, and will live on. But turf labyrinths really need um, to be maintained. But there's one in, in Saffron Walden, which is a 17 circuit. Right, maybe it's a 20. I think, no, I think it's a 17 circuit labyrinth. So it's a really long labyrinth in Saffron Walden in England and uh, it's beautiful and um, it has been there I think maybe 200 to 300 years so um, they're actually having a maze festival this um, fall um, based around this labyrinth um, so um, yeah and then there's South Africa there's a labyrinth of reconciliation that was built for for apartheid um, to reconcile after that. And it's a really interesting pattern um, in South Africa. So, so yeah, I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you got me thinking about like, so Google Maps is really interesting in that you can see things, well, Google Earth from above. I wonder, has, yeah. has any monumental, gigantic labyrinth been created in, in a desert somewhere? Because the pattern's so beautiful. I wonder... You know, like the Nazca lines? I wonder uh -huh. if, if anyone's done that yet. Like, I'm going to create the world's biggest labyrinth. Yeah, there is an artist who created a uh, labyrinth in Nepal that is, is um, monumental in, in size. And uh, I have to find it. Um, can't remember the name of the artist right now. Let's see. Um but people have begun to to build uh, monumental labyrinths that are especially yeah visible from uh, from from space or, or yeah <laughs> they they don't really work so well for walking because you know the labyrinth is meant to be more contemplative and if you get into such a long journey it it becomes more of an endurance challenge than a <laughs> than a meditative experience but um yeah. How long, how long, how much time, if you're really in your moment, how long does it take to get to the center of a class or a, a medieval 11 course shards labyrinth, which is it 42 is the diameter 42 feet. Did I make that yeah, up? Yeah. 42 feet. Uh huh. Yeah. That's the, in the cathedral in France, the one in Grace cathedral is slightly smaller to fit the space. Uh huh. Uh, uh huh. So, um, generally, it's about a half an hour. Um, Both ways. If it's a group walk, no. In total, you know, if if it's an individual uh -huh. walk, if it's a group, if it's a group walk, ten, you probably go slower because you you have other people to kind of navigate around, and you know, um, then it can take maybe forty five minutes. Um, you know, things will affect your walk um, when there's music and there's candlelight. Um, people tend to walk slower. Um, 
you know, but if it's outdoors and you're by yourself, you'll you probably walk a little faster. Also, it's interesting, but the more narrow the path um, also slows people down because it forces you to to focus and, and it's harder to to move so quickly. But if you have a really wide path, then you can actually, you know, you just kind of get into cruise control and <laughs> you end up going pretty quickly through the design. Well, now there, I think... Uh... There is actually, I'm, I'm with one of the groups, it might be the Worldwide Labyrinth Project, if that's the correct name. Don't they have a, a labyrinth locator? Yeah, that's actually a um, a joint venture between Veritas and the Labyrinth Society. And uh, the labyrinth locator is a database um, where people can um, submit a labyrinth uh for people to visit and um, you can go on and search the locator to find labyrinths either near where you live or where you travel. So there's over 5,000 labyrinths. We just passed the uh, 5,000 mark, which is very exciting. And, uh, and we're working on an app so people could um, launch their cell phone app and just press a button and it would say you have four labyrinths nearby within five miles. <laughs> and then get directions to the labyrinth. So, um, yeah, there, there's more labyrinths now than, than in, in quite a long time. I don't know if there was another point in history that had as many labyrinths, and I guess we won't know because they could have all um, been destroyed or, or lost. But um, there's, there's this growing movement of, of walking labyrinths, building labyrinths, and uh, and many of them are in public spaces. So, you know, many people... Many of the labyrinths are intended for people to visit and walk. Um, some people have private labyrinths in their backyard just for themselves, but even they may list it on the locator and say, you know, you know, you're welcome to come on by, just, you know, go in the back door or the fence or whatever. Other people say, you know, please give me an email or call and let me know if you'd like to come visit. You can walk my labyrinth. How many of those have you made personally, do you think? Um permanent labyrinths I've probably made 30 or so and I, I in my training and my studies I've made hundreds of temporary labyrinths so one of my goals was to try to uh, experience as many different forms as possible so you know like we had a monthly art walk here in Richmond where I live and uh, every month I would create a different design you know for people to walk but it was only available for one day and then i'd i'd pull it up so and then i'm curious about these these custom tools and design building curriculum from your uh from robert foray yeah yeah well robert you know when 20 years ago um when robert visited shark cathedral he came back and he kind of had an overwhelming urge to learn how to to recreate the Chart Labyrinth. And at that point, you know, there were a few people using the Chart Labyrinth, either with like tape or on canvas, but they weren't um, exact replicas of the Chart Labyrinth. They were kind of, uh, um, I don't know what you call it, impressions of it. (laughs) So he decided, you know, with a compass and ruler to, um, to learn the proportions and the design so that he could make it exact. And he worked from 
some measurements that he had taken on site and uh, rubbings. You know, he'd actually put paper on the floor and rubbed the stone to to, to get some of the the entrance and the center. And um, and so he took about two to three months to learn how to do this with a compass and ruler on a piece of paper. Um, and at the same time, Lauren Archeris, um in San Francisco asked um, she needed somebody to create a canvas labyrinth um, for them to use in workshops and uh, to sell. And so he uh, created the tools to make the chart labyrinth on canvas and then um, in concrete, you know, in permanent installations, um, devising his own methods and tools. So basically he was like in his garage, you know, <laughs> trying to create like how do I how do I make a giant compass? You know, how do I make a double line? How do I how do I create these hundred and eighty degree turns? And so so when he retired he yeah he left his three cargo boxes of tools with me. So I have not only the physical tools but also his amazing wisdom and experience of uh of knowing how to create the labyrinth down to like a an eighth of an inch or sixteenth of an inch <laughs> in accuracy and precision. So well so now I'm the shard labyrinth is it kind of devised in hemispheres and so there's two halves to it. But and the other thing I'm wondering about is the the number of uh what would you call them? They're the little circuits not the circuits, but the the kind of around the outside. It looks like decoration, but there's actually meaning in that too. So there's like, oh right, the lunations. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. The well, we were just doing this workshop this weekend, and we were exploring the chakras on the seven circuit labyrinth because um, you can you can uh, assign the chakras to the seven circuit labyrinth and 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 do a walk. Um, either consciously or subconsciously, um, Richard Feather Anderson has been working with, you know, how do the, the chakras relate to the seven circuit labyrinth? And on the chart labyrinth, um, there's a lot of uh, religious um, symbology, and, uh, you know, we don't have any um, written record of, of why or how the labyrinth was used um, when it was first built. Um, so there's just theories about it, but you know, one of the theories is that the lunations that surround the labyrinth um, represent a lunar calendar because uh, it could it approximates four lunar months, and um, and Robert Foray believes that that could be used to calculate Easter, um, which I believe happens on the fourth Sunday following the full moon in the in the new year, and then. Robert also recently is, has um, thought that perhaps it also represents the Quran um, because there are, um, I think, 114 surahs, and the first one is called the entrance or the opening. And so you could also um, um, hypothesize that that the, the different stories of the Quran could be represented by the outside with the entrance being the first story. Hmm. Um, and there was a lot of Arabic um, influence in 
um, France and Spain, you know, at that period. So it's, it's not too far fetched to believe that, that that could have been informed. It definitely informed the building of the cathedral itself, the architecture, and whether or not it informed the labyrinth is another thing. But then, you know, it's also a symbol of Mary and, um, and there's much symbolism to the Christian scripture as well in the, in the labyrinth, um, as a path to God or a symbolic pilgrimage, um, in the rosette in the center. So, so there's, there's a lot of different, um, ways to look at it based on sacred geometry or, or faith. Um, yeah. How were you called to this? That's that's interesting to me. And then also, I'm always amazed by people who are able to turn a, a passion about meaning into their life's work. Yeah, it's, it is incredible. Um, it's a long story, but I began uh, working as a photographer out of college. And so I, I was a professional photographer for 15 years um, doing documentary and photojournalism. And I also taught photography part-time. And um, uh, high school I taught had a labyrinth built in the courtyard. And so actually it's fascinating. The first labyrinth that I actually experienced was one that I saw being built and then later would go and discover um, as a personal practice to walk in between class and then um, I started taking my students out to the labyrinth. And so I would walk the labyrinth with my students on the first day of the semester to set our intention. And then on the last day of the semester to reflect on, on what we had learned. And so that, that was my beginning um, with labyrinths and I lived near the beach. And so I would, I would go out on the beach and I would draw the classical labyrinth. And um, I created a stone labyrinth for myself when I was going through a, a difficult time. And so I used the labyrinth for my own personal healing. Um, and what was fascinating is that when I would go out to walk the labyrinth, um, it was on a public land. There would always be somebody else walking it when, when I arrived. And so I thought, well, you know, I had built this labyrinth for myself, but but here are these other people that are that are walking it and, and taking time and, and space, you know, engaging the space in a way that they wouldn't if, if it wasn't hadn't been there. So so then people started asking me if, if I could build them a labyrinth or um, one for their yard or the garden. Um, and so the kind of fascination with the design um, kind of came hand in hand with people asking me. Um, for help with it and living in San Francisco was really fortunate because um, it's one of the kind of epicenters of the modern movement with Lauren Archeris and Grace Cathedral. I mean, I think Grace Cathedral is probably the most walked labyrinth in the world right now. Um, I think they estimate that maybe 6 million people have walked that labyrinth and it's probably, you know, for a lot of people that is the first labyrinth that they walked or, or encountered. Um, and so I started taking workshops there at Grace Cathedral with Lauren Artris and learning from her. And then Robert Ferre came and did a design workshop. And uh, I took a class with him. And then I, I kind of felt finished with my, my, my work as a photographer. And I, I went to um, Europe to, to Chartres Cathedral 
um, to become a, a trained facilitator with Lauren Artress uh, in 2011. And so I studied with her at Chartres Cathedral, and then I went to Sweden to trace my roots. And I found out that Sweden has more surviving ancient labyrinths than any other country in the world that are walkable. So, so there's maybe 300 walkable historic and ancient labyrinths in Sweden. And so it's kind of tracing my heritage, but at the same time, I was I was going deep into labyrinth history. And from there, it just <laughs> I just uh, just fell in love with the pattern and the and the history and I came back and I thought you know how, how who does this for a living are there people that build labyrinths as a career and I went online and did a google search and there's maybe six people in the United States that do that and one of them is Robert Ferrey and so on his website on the bottom there was a, a newsletter and I clicked on the newsletter and at the bottom of his newsletter it said I'm 68 years old uh, I'm going to retire in two years. I tried to sell my business in St. Louis, but no one would buy it. Uh, it would be a shame for all this knowledge and and uh, experience to disappear. Um, isn't there somebody out there, you know, younger who would like to carry the torch? And I was like, I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. So, so in our world, we would call that a synchronicity. Oh, yeah. I and mean, it's amazing. Like the exact Incredible. thing that you need to happen happens at the exact moment that you need it to? Yeah. And a lot of people kind of have that happen with the labyrinth. I mean, a lot of people that I meet who are working with the labyrinth really intensely, they say that, you know, one thing led to another to another. And, and it's just like as long as you keep saying yes, um, the labyrinth does bring a lot of synchronicity into life and, uh, you know, being open it is a it's a portal so i mean i've just gone farther down the portal <laughs> than a lot of people but um you know i wrote robert back and i said yeah i'd love to be your your apprentice and so that's when the three-year training began so what kind of training do you get from lauren as a facilitator so the work of veritas is more focused on um the use of the labyrinth uh, in groups. Um, how do you introduce the labyrinth to people that haven't walked it before? How do you um, create a group walk, you know, that that will um, benefit people? Um, a lot of people just find the labyrinth without any, um, you know, introduction or or knowledge of of what it's how it can be used, but, you know, other times people have facilitate these group walks, like every month we have a candlelight walk at Grace Cathedral, and, you know, hundreds of people come to walk the labyrinth with intention, and so there's a facilitator that stands at the entrance to the labyrinth that can kind of answer questions and pace people, you know, so that one person is not right on the heels of another, and, uh, and then also leading workshops, um, and teaching teaching other people about how to use it in its various forms. So, from Robert, I really learned about the the tools and techniques and the design um, and the history. And from Lauren, I really learned about you know how to work with it as a as a mindfulness practice and um, spiritual tool and and how to introduce it to to groups. And then, as far as your own 
your own work, do you imagine that you're going to take this and, and write your own? I mean, are you, you mentioned that you were like tracking your 12 wonders of the labyrinth world and this kind of thing. Do you imagine yourself producing some kind of work to communicate your experience with the labyrinth? Yeah, I'm not sure what my testament will be. Um, I think it, you know, it's it's kind of not up to the builder, really. It's I feel like labyrinths have a life of their own, and uh, you know, we create the space, and it's an invitation. But the the labyrinth will either be used or not used, and it will be respected or not respected. And um, you know, we just like in Chartres Cathedral and the older labyrinths is like, you don't even know who built them or why. So um, I kind of have a sense that, you know, I'll, I'll be creating labyrinths and my goal is to create them that, that resonate and that will um, live. Um, but really it's up to the, the people in the communities, um, whether or not they become something that, that holds energy and, and, and becomes um, respected and, and uh, valued. So um, I still feel like I'm in my formative stage right now too. So I, I'm, I'm kind of more interested in, in, in studying the, the masters and the, and the past than really trying to make my mark right now <laughs> in, in lessons. What kind of fun things do you have coming up in the near future as a facilitator and a builder that we can kind of keep our eye on um yeah there's there's a lot happening right now I, i've so i just taught this um design and uh building workshop uh this past weekend in california but we're we're taking it to the east coast um for the first time so we're we're going to be in uh north carolina at canuga retreat center in um july and then I'm going to Australia for the first time to teach um, next January, the same design and building workshop and Lauren Archers will be doing a facilitator training there. Um, in Houston uh, in November 10th to 12th, there's going to be the annual gathering of the Labyrinth Society. So that's a conference where people come from all over the United States and, and world to, to share and study and walk labyrinths um, it's a public conference, and uh, I'm I'm teaching a, a half-day workshop um, before the conference, and then I'm giving a short presentation during the conference as well. Um, so those are all really exciting, and uh, and then I've also recorded my my class um, that I just taught on Saturday, and so we're we're creating a uh, an online webinar. Um, that will be available for people to to take anywhere in the world at your own pace, um, and so that's going to be a first for Veritas and uh, and uh, myself as well. So it'll be very exciting um, for people to study labyrinths wherever they are. <laughs> and then, what do you make of the work of Veritas and the kind of impact that it's having in the world? Uh, yeah, Veritas has just celebrated its 20th anniversary, and the Labyrinth Society is in its 18th year. So um, both of the organizations have done an incredible uh, service um, by by informing people about the Labyrinth and supporting 
those who study it and, uh, and work with it. And, uh, um, because it is an ancient archetype, I, I feel like there, there is a responsibility to, to, uh, treat it as a sacred object and a sacred symbol and, um, to understand its history and to, um, you know, you can adapt it and you can, you can, it's open to interpretation. It's, I call it an open source archetype. Um, but I think the work of Veritas and the Latin Society is, is helping people to understand, you know, the history of the archetype and the tradition that that's there. And so you can respect the, the history and tradition and then adapt it, you know, for use in your own life and, and in different spaces. Um, so I think that's been incredible because 20 years ago, there were hardly anybody who knew what a labyrinth was or had one that they could go walk. And now, you know, we can get on the labyrinth locator and you can probably find a labyrinth within, you know, if not five miles and at least 50 miles, um, from where people live. And, uh, you know, that's incredible that in 20 years, um, it has, has spread so far and wide. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you, Doug. It's been my pleasure. I really appreciate the conversation. You bet. You've been listening to Lars Howlett on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. Be sure and check out his website, to which we'll link, discoverlabyrinths.com. More information about the SyncBook, our guests to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like the podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All of this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com membership. Thanks so much. And through dangers untold and hardships unnumbered, I have fought my way here to the castle beyond the Goblin City to take back the child you have stolen. For my will is as strong as yours, and my kingdom is great. Aha. Aha. Which is Sweet. more of a maze than a labyrinth, it seems like. Yeah, that's from the David Bowie. Uh, yeah, movie. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's incredible. It's like any time you go online and search the word labyrinth, you just end up with hundreds of photographs of David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> or like you go on Twitter and you want to see what's happening with labyrinths, you go search hashtag labyrinth and it's just David Bowie, David Bowie, David Bowie. And then there's like a labyrinth here, a labyrinth there. So that'll yeah. probably be the next uh, the next level of the labyrinth movement is when there's actually more labyrinths than David Bowie in the in a search. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is we had a, a wonderful labyrinth walk this past. No, oh, it was. Oh, it was Easter. It was on Easter, I think, or several. It was just about. I don't know which day it was. It probably wasn't Easter Sunday, but it was Friday or Saturday, and so. Yeah. Yeah, and we found the labyrinth on the on the locator, and it was just a really nice experience for a big group of people. So. Oh, great. Yeah. And it, where did you walk your first labyrinth? Grace Cathedral. I mean, hey, I, yeah. right. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of a writer, and I was really drawn to it as a metaphor for both a structure and then for kind of a process too. But then I just got really interested in the the meaning behind it, or the possible meanings. So. Yeah, well, it works great for writers. I mean, I think 
you know, metaphorically and as a structure, tool of structure, it's, it's a great, it's great for that. Okay, well, I'm gonna deal with all the kids now that have arrived back at the house and. Yeah, well, thanks for adjusting the time to ten because it was a it was a crazy morning for me before I got here. <laughs> the eight a.m. would it really would have been the challenge, but. Uh, oh, that's all right. Appreciate your flexibility, and I look forward to hearing it. You'll you'll be editing it and posting it. It's soon, and then I'll share when it's done. I'm slower these days because my job has in, increased in time and volume, but. Okay, so it was good to meet you, and, and I'll be in touch. Okay, thanks, Doug. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So long.